completed. All right, so we are continuing this week in, in the series, I Am. This will be the last, uh, last week of the series, I Am. We're going to start into a series about Jesus and about the, the many different ways uh, that Jesus can be seen and who he is in the New Testament and all of that kind of stuff so that we can make our way into, uh, into Easter that's coming up right around the corner. We will have two services on Easter, one at 8.30, one at 10.30. The 8.30 service will actually be um, an intro to the 10.30 service. So don't come at 8.30 thinking, well, I'll just skip out of the 10.30 because I've already heard it once. No, it'll be two separate messages completely. I'm going to preach two messages. They'll be, they'll be in conjunction with one another. They'll tie into one another. So 8.30 and 10.30. Unfortunately, for the 8.30 service... We won't have childcare, and that's simply for the reason that I would like to be able to have the, the folks that are working in the back be able to participate in Easter services and, you know, give them a chance to come out here and hear the message and participate in worship and all that. So 8.30 and 10.30 on Easter, so just know that that's coming. We continue in our series, I Am, and we've been talking about the fact that this is about Moses. This is about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and them being set free from their captivity and their bondage and slavery and all that. And for whatever reason, I, I don't really get this, but, but uh, the book of Exodus, and now as we go into the book of Numbers, um, there's snakes everywhere. I don't get the snake thing. Uh, I don't know why God chooses to use the snakes with, with Moses and Aaron and those guys. Like, I don't, I'm not a big fan of snakes. Uh, if you are a big fan of snakes, you will enjoy this morning's sermon more. Uh, but if you are like me and you not, don't enjoy snakes so much, you probably won't enjoy it quite as much. I'll give you a story. Is my wife gone? Okay, good. So uh, I'll tell you a story uh, about me and my wife when we were, I, I would say, late teenagers, 16, 17 years old. And, and, and don't think anything bad about this story, okay? We were out in the woods, okay? Immediately, teenagers go, oh, I know why you were out in the woods. It wasn't like that, okay? It was just back in the day where teenagers would go, and they would, like, walk and talk, and actually, they didn't text or, 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 or FaceTime or any of that kind of stuff. They, they just talked to one another, and they actually enjoyed each other's company face-to-face. -face. It's really weird. I know, like, teenagers are going, you got to be kidding me. Like, you face-to-face, and you talk to her, and we asked them out face-to-face. -face. I know, it was crazy. So, anyway... So we were actually walking through some woods that were in uh, Cash's parents' backyard. They had some woods behind their house, and we were walking along, and um, <laughs> it's really a weird story. Anyway, so she's in front of me, and, and she's walking along, and, and she stops to turn and talk to me for just a second about something. She's saying something to me. So I kind of look up, and I, I'm staring at her, and then my eyes shift just to the right. Now, my wife, if you don't know, she happens to be a little bit, not, not that this is unusual for women, but sometimes you can be control freaks. I don't know if you know that about yourselves, but sometimes women, you can be controlling. Uh, th this, this is not a revelation from God. This is just what I've experienced over my own life. I can tell you that sometimes women can be a bit controlling, and my wife, uh, she is not exempt from that. She can be controlling at times, too. So she is talking to me, and I notice that right beside her head on a branch is a snake. Uh, I don't know why snakes climb trees. I don't know why God allowed them to climb trees. It is not natural for snakes to be in trees, but they do it. I mean, I, don't, I, I can deal with them on the ground where I can stomp them to death, but the fact that they go up into trees and they can be eye level with me, that scares me to death. I mean, I'm not terrified of snakes, mind you. I, they're okay, and I can watch them in cages, and I don't sweat or cry or any of that kind of stuff. But, but one that's in a tree hanging there looking at me eye to eye, I don't like that, okay? 
Um, and, and this snake was right beside uh, my future wife's head, and it was like turning to look at her. And I knew, like, if she saw this snake, man, it was, it was going to be pandemonium. It was going to be chaos. There would be trees knocked down. I mean, it would, be, it would be bad news if she saw the snake. So she's talking to me, and, and I don't have time to explain stuff, okay? Sometimes you just say, watch out, there's a car coming. You know, it, like, you don't have time to explain everything, right? Well, women being controlling like they sometimes can be, I said, Kasha, go that way. She said, Huh? Trust me, go that way. And she goes, what are you talking about? And she thinks, like, I just randomly want to see if I can control her and make her go where I want her to go. Obviously, I said, I don't have time to tell you. Because I didn't want to tell her, hey, there's a snake beside your head fixing to bite you in the eyeball. I didn't have time to tell her that. I just said, Kasha, go that way. Well, that starts a whole argument. Finally, I just said, forget it. I start walking that way. I figure if she's talking to me and she wants to yell at me, she'll follow me. So I just, I walk right around her and just start going through the woods. And she's like, well, what was that all about? Not that a 17-year-old girl could get upset about anything ridiculous like that. But I said, there was a snake beside your head. And she goes, well, why didn't you just tell me that? (laughs) Next time I will go, dear... Honey, there's a giant snake about to bite you in the eyeball. You might want to turn around and keep going. I learned my lesson, you know. Maybe, maybe I just needed to remain calm and just say, hey, don't worry about the snake by your head. Just keep going, you know. I learned my lesson. But today is about snakes once again. Uh, it's a really kind of weird story, but you've probably heard it before. It's in Numbers chapter 21, beginning of verse 4. You've probably heard this story before. You may not have. That's okay. Some people haven't. Some of you are going to be like, oh, I didn't know what that was about. So here we see in Numbers chapter 21, beginning of verse 4, it says this. And the people of Israel set out from the, uh, Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea and to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. <laughs> That's not like us at all, is it, to grow impatient? We've been wandering around the desert We're growing impatient. And they began to speak against God and Moses. Notice that they're speaking against God and Moses by what they say. Not a good thing, by the way, in case you're wondering, to speak against God and Moses. Not good. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They say that repeatedly. Uh, Like as the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt and the fact that they were in slavery, in captivity, and they were kind of happier about that than it was to go out in the wilderness and not where, know where food was going to come from or how they were going to get water to drink. And here, once again, they did this on the, the banks of the Red Sea, you know, when they, Pharaoh's army was pressing down on them. They, they did the same thing. Great, you brought us out in here to the wilderness to die. Thanks, Moses. Thanks, God, for doing that. It'd be better if we stayed in slavery. It says, this is how they complain. They complain there is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. We've heard this before from them they keep saying it over and over but listen they amp it up right here this is where it gets kind of gritty where it kind of gets nasty it says we hate this horrible manna Uh uh-oh now i think they kind of stepped off in it here a little bit okay when they said we hate this horrible manna so they were hungry and they were thirsty and then god was providing them with manna from heaven he was meeting their needs he was giving them everything that they needed in order to survive but that wasn't good enough He was 
feeding them out of his hands, literally feeding them out of his hands by giving them manna to eat when they had nothing to eat. It appeared out of nowhere, and God was feeding them and meeting their needs. And they said, we hate this manna. We're so sick and tired of eating manna every single day. I had a friend of mine tell me one time, he said, you could serve ice cream every single day of the week, and somebody wouldn't like the flavor. This is exactly what's going on here with the children of Israel. God is meeting their needs. He's doing what they, what they need done, and, and all of a sudden, they're not trusting God. All of a sudden, they say, we hate this manna. Uh-oh, not good. We'll go on to see what happens here. So, the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Not good, right? When God sends poisonous snakes after you, not a good thing. Uh, that's the sarcastic part of Kenny coming out. This is a very bad thing, obviously, that God has sent poisonous snakes to bite them. And we're going to talk about that for just a second in just a minute. But let me go on to verse 7. It says, Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Kind of a weird story, right? Um, by the way, Moses lived, I mean, some people say he's as old as uh, 1592, uh, some say 1291 B.C., before Christ. And uh, there are, are, are indications that we get these next two symbols. I'm going to show you up on the screen from this exact story from Numbers chapter 21. Have you ever seen these two symbols before? The one on the left you're more likely to have seen in a doctor's office or on the outside of a hospital or something like that. It's the two snakes around a staff. The one on the right would be a single, a single snake around a staff, and that's usually uh, for emergency personnel. They have this symbol. Some people say that, that these symbols come from Greek mythology. Um, some people say if you're in nursing school, they may have taught you that or something like that. The earliest indications we have of some of the earliest Greek mythology is like 700 B.C., so my, my gut feeling is it probably came from Moses first, and then Greek mythology maybe got it from us. So anyway, that's just my take on that, but... Um, I thought it was interesting that we see these symbols all over the place and we don't necessarily think about what they mean. Blue Cross Blue Shield, as a matter of fact, has a shield, and inside that shield is a staff with a snake wrapped around it. So if you see that, you'll know where it comes from. That's just a tidbit. That's free. You can take that and share with anybody you want. Uh, but, but I thought that was very interesting and it was important for us to note here. So let's go back to the story. Numbers chapter 21. We see here that the people have had poisonous snakes sent in on them by God. Now, some people would say, well, what kind of God is that that sends poisonous snakes in on people that are being disobedient? What kind of God is that that would do such a thing, right? You know why I think that, that we have that perspective? Because we have a very uh, 
limited perspective of here on the earth. We have a limited perspective of right here, right now, our lives as we see it, uh, up until the point of death, that's really all we can see. You can plan like uh, what, what will happen to you when, you when you pass on from this life to the other, but right now, all we see in our finite minds is, is we see right here, right now, in this life, and we even think death is somewhere down the road, and we don't even think about it a whole lot unless we go to buy life insurance or that sort of thing, but we just see a finite period of time and we just look right here, right now, and we think, why could God, why would God send snakes onto these people? And some of them died. You know why I think? I think because God is eternal. God sees beyond just your life right now. God sees uh, beyond this life onto the next life for all of eternity, which is a whole heck of a lot longer than your life here on this earth. Okay? And what these people had happen is snakes came into their camp and some of these people were bitten and some of them even died. Sometimes God allows things to come into our lives to put pressure on us so that we will say, I need to focus on the real God. I need to not focus so much on on all these other things. I need to focus on God at this point in my life. Now, some people have cancer come into their life and they get in this situation. All the other stuff that they, they, they think about or are worried about, all of a sudden that diminishes and you see people coming into church and you see people falling down on their face before God when they never have before. It's because God is at work in their life. And even though it may look like, man, something bad is happening, what is happening is something good, there is an eye-opening experience going on in those people's lives. Same thing happened in September 11, 2001. Just terrorists came in, crashed in the World Trade Centers, the Pentagon, crashed out in Pennsylvania. Churches were automatically full. Boom! Like just tons of people everywhere. Things were were, were putting the pressure on the people to to get them to take their focus off the temporal things and start focusing on the eternal things. And all of a sudden people said, oh no, what have I done? I need to get right with God. I need to put my life in God's hands. Here they are complaining about the manna that God was feeding them out of their hands and it, out of his hand. And here we see the same thing in our lives. We start, we start complaining and we start going, man, I don't know if it's worth it for me to show up on a Sunday morning at 1030. I don't know if I really am feeling that. I don't know if it's worth it for me to come back at 6 o'clock on Wednesday to hear the word of God. I tell you what, if you had cancer, I bet you would be here. I don't say that to mean to be harsh but I, I'm, I'm telling you that you've got to get your minds off of this world and, and start looking at it, things from an eternal perspective. You don't need to go skydiving or Rocky Mountain climbing. What you need to do is you need to get your heart right and you need to start looking at the things of God and you need to start taking those things seriously. And what happened here is these people, they repented. That is the good news about this story is they repented. They saw the place that they were at. They saw what they were doing. They saw how they had turned from God and they were worried about too many other things that weren't of God. And this is what happened is that they, it says that they went back and they they cried out to Moses. They cried out to Moses and to God and said, we have messed up. We have done something wrong. It it is not good what we have done. And, And because we serve a good and gracious God, even though he has an eternal perspective, he brought mercy onto those people and he said, There is a way out. There is a way for you to be saved. There is a way for you to be rescued. Moses, here's what you need to do. You need to take a snake and wrap it around a pole, an image of a snake, and you wrap it around a pole, and and you hold it up in the middle of the camp. 
And those people who are interested in being healed will be healed because they will look at the pole. You know what I imagine happened? I imagine there were some people in the camp that just died because they never even wanted to look at the pole. They never even had faith or believed that looking at the pole would save them. You see that all the time in our world that we live in, don't you? People that refuse to look up. People that refuse to look up. I've, I've got to jump to John chapter 3 because most of us know John 3.16, right? But some of us don't know John 3.14 and 15, so we've we got to go there for just a second. John chapter 3 verses 14 says this, And Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Everyone who believes in the Son of Man who will be lifted up will be healed. That's what happened to the people that looked at the pole that was lifted up. He says, for God so loved the world, so much so that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Here's what's going on. In this particular passage in John chapter 3, he's having a conversation with this guy named Nicodemus. And he's a Pharisee. And he knows like all the Old Testament books. Like he knows them really, really well. So Jesus goes back and he says, well, you know that story about Moses? He says, you know that story about when the snake was lifted up on the pole and how those people were healed? So too will the, man, the Son of Man, the Son of God, will be lifted up on a pole It's crucifixion, right? So too will the Son of God be lifted up. And whoever believes in him will will be healed. Whoever looks upon him will will not perish, but will have eternal life. See, getting the focus from right here, right now, onto eternity is what Jesus was doing when he said this. But you know what? Not only are we talking about Jesus literally being lifted up onto a pole, but we're also talking about Jesus being elevated in our lives. Some, some people, they, they, they say they've committed their life to Christ. They say that they're Christians, Christ followers, but Jesus has never really been elevated in their life. They've never really looked up. He doesn't have a place of prominence in their life to where they can say, that is my focus, that is my place, that is where I belong, that is the reason I do what I do, that is the reason I live the way that I live. You see this all the time. You know when you see it more? And th- this is where half you folks don't come back next Sunday. Well, you know where you see it more? Uh, Little League Baseball. Little League Baseball. Jesus is prominent in my life. Jesus is why I do what I do. Jesus is the reason I breathe in and breathe out every day. Jesus is the reason I take this step or that step. Jesus is the reason. He is a place of prominence in my life. Except if Little League Baseball interferes. My daughter asked, she said, man, (laughs) Daddy, I would really like to play travel volleyball. She loves volleyball. I get out in the yard and I play volleyball with her. She loves volleyball. She's crazy about it. She wants volleyball shoes and volleyball shirts and she just loves volleyball, right? And she said, Dad, I, I really would love to play travel volleyball. I didn't say a word. My wife stepped in and said, not until they stop playing on Wednesdays and Sundays. And my daughter knows. Not, not until that happens are you going to be able to tra- tra- play travel volleyball because Jesus has prominence in our life. Jesus is number one. That's all that matters when everything else fades away. 
Nothing else will matter, but Jesus will matter. The place of prominence he has in your life, the place that, that Jesus has in your heart, that will matter for eternity, not just for this life. The good news is, the good news is that there is a way, there, there is a way to allow him to be prominent in your life. There is a way that you can be saved. There is a way that you can be healed. There is a way that you can allow him to rule and reign in your life. There is a way that your heart will be motivated towards him and not towards other things. There is a way. And there is simply this. Uh, as the people lifted their eyes up to the pole, as they lifted their eyes up to Jesus, you know what you have to do? Just look and believe. Just look and lift your eyes up to Jesus. You don't have to be like some kind of spiritual giant. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be 80 years old or, or you don't have to be 10 years old. There are people that are 8 years old and 7 years old and 5 years old that understand that they just look to Jesus. And because they see who Jesus is, they see the sacrifice that he made. They see that everything comes from him. They can be saved. They can be healed. They can, they can be healed for not just this life, for all of eternity. And we saw people doing that this morning. They said, they said, I need to be healed. I need to look to Jesus. Just look to Jesus. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he's one of the greatest preachers of all times. If you want to look up sermons and stuff, he's got a jillion. I mean, like books this thick on just his sermons. And he would go and he would preach to tons and tons and tons of people. So much so, there were so many people coming to hear him preach now, they didn't have like audio amplifiers and stuff like I've got. They didn't have speakers or any of that kind of stuff. There would be so many people that would come to hear him preach in these auditoriums where he just had to use his voice to project out to the people. He would tell the people, he would say, look, some of you saved people have stopped, got to stop coming to church so that we can get some of these lost people in here. There's only so many hours I have in the day to preach the gospel of Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, you got to stop coming so that some of the lost people can come in here to hear about Jesus. Man, wow, what a problem to have, right? Telling the church members to stop coming. Well, he tells a story about his life and when he got saved. He said that he was, it was a snowstorm that blew into his town, and he was searching around on a Sunday morning trying to, trying to find a place to go to church, trying to find a place where, where he could just find out what it meant to be saved. And he praises God for this snowstorm that God brought because he went into this little church with 10 or 15 people. It was a Methodist church, and these people, he said, they sang so loud it gave him a headache. I was like, man, that is awesome. So they sang so loud it gave him a headache. And he said, and the preacher, he said, I believe that it's good for a man to be well-educated, but this man was stupid. He said, this man was really just not educated at all, and he was dumb, and he didn't know anything about the Word of God. But this is what he preached, and this is what spoke to him. And it is in Isaiah. I believe we have it up on the screen for you, as a matter of fact. In Isaiah chapter 45, this is what it says. Let all the world look to me for salvation. That's the core of the message this morning. That, that is the answer. You, you want to know what's going to heal you? And when Jesus walked this earth, yes, he would touch blind people and make them able to see. Or, or lame people would be able to walk. Or, or lepers would be able to be cleansed and they'd be able to make whole. But what Jesus said is your biggest problem is not your physical ailment, but it is the condition of your soul. 
And these people that had faith, these people that looked on the pole, the same people that, that you and I, we look up to Jesus if we have faith. And as we look, we can find salvation. But we have to look and we have to believe. He has to have a place of prominence in our life. And he has to say, we have to say, yes, indeed, Jesus. Look unto Jesus. Look unto God, for, for I am God, this, there is no other. I have sworn by my own name, I have spoken the truth, and I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me. You've heard that before. Every tongue will confess allegiance to me. The people will declare the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and strength, and all who are angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. In the Lord, all the generations of Israel will be justified, and in him they will boast. It is only through looking to Jesus. It is only through looking up to the cross and the sacrifice that Jesus made that you can actually allow Jesus to come and take prominence in your heart to change you, to make you new, to give you a sense of healing like you've never experienced before. When I, at nine years old, when I surrendered my heart and life to Jesus Christ, I, I can just tell you, I remember the, the experience of just having this weight lifted off of me to think that I've been set free, that the, the bonds, these chains of sin never hold me down anymore. Oh, what a relief it really was to experience that and say, yes, Jesus, I want you to have a place of prominence in my life. And I just looked up. I just looked up. And that is all you have to do. All you have to do to allow Jesus to come in and rescue you and for you to be healed. Just like these children of Israel looked up to that snake. Look up to Jesus and be saved. Let me pray. And then we'll have a time of response. God, you know that there are people here, uh, Lord, and you, you're working on them. You're dealing with their hearts, God. You're, you're, you, you know their struggles, and you know where they are in their lives. And God, this was not an easy message to preach. Lord, I, I know that, that some uh, may have been taken back by what was said here. Lord, but I pray that they would see beyond just the temporal, beyond just the right here, right now, and they would see the eternal, and they would see the eternal purposes of your words, Lord, in order that the, the, the Son of God would be lifted up, that the Son of God would have a place of prominence in their life. God, however you need to, to correct these people or instruct them or love them to you, God, we know that you are a loving God because you sent a rescuer to the people of Israel. You sent Moses to, to make a staff that he could lift up and show them so they would be healed just like you made a way through, through your son Jesus Christ for us to be healed. In the same way, God, we can be healed. We only need to look and believe. So, Lord, God, I, I know that the people have needs here. And, God, maybe there's somebody out here that is, is struggling with cancer and maybe they just need to be drawn close to you maybe they need to just allow you to to work in their hearts and in their lives God and, and let them be healed in their hearts God we know that the most important thing is not so much that our physical bodies be healed but that our souls be healed because that's what will stand the fire and that's what will stand the test of time God thank you so much for this word and how it, it challenges us each and every one and it, it encourages us and it draws us close to you and I pray that it settles easy on their hearts, God, but it convicts them and draws them close to you. Father, maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know you. They've never given their life to you. They've seen people get baptized. God, maybe they recognize that they, they've never truly surrendered their hearts to you. God, I pray that they would do that today. God, however you need to work in these people's lives, God, I pray that it would all be for your glory. God, thank you so much for loving us through the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.